Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer, and broadcaster who's interviewed roughly 1,400 celebrities over a 30-year period for all major media outlets in Ireland and many abroad. What follows is the third and final part of a series of three podcasts based on an interview I did with Neil Diamond roughly 20 years ago in his studio in New York. The interview was done for a radio program I presented at the time in which I looked back at the original musical influences in an artist's life, and we then followed that trajectory throughout their career to highlight how, where, and when those influences manifested themselves in their own music. So let's pick up on the conversation with Neil at the point where we were discussing some of his own songs. And by the way, if you want to read articles I wrote based on my three interviews with Neil Diamond, check my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. It's great to be giving our time for these songs. Good. You know, to, to be moving this way through the career. Good. Okay, so... Uh, yeah. We talked... Uh, Neil Diamond. Um, we talked... I talked to... I think for, the only interview I did with you before was over the phone for the for an Irish paper. And, I, you know, we were talking about the amount of money that you would make on something like You Don't Bring Me Flowers, and I saw the figure of $37 million. And you're kind of going, you don't need to pay the rent anymore. But you clearly have this driven need to still get out and perform. And I touched on it earlier when I said you need to express yourself. But you still, well, that number still, is absurd. Is I mean, it? I've, you know, $37 million, I, you know, no, that's not. You <laughs> All right. And you, okay. you don't think about that. You think about doing something beautiful that people like, you know. Is uh, that still the motivating factor when you absolutely. sit down? Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to please people. You want to please yourself. You want to express yourself beautifully. You want to write something great. You want to show you're worthwhile. You know, I've I've had a career in music. Uh, I've been able to earn a living from music. I want to be show people that I'm thankful for that. So you n- you never do think about you know. Well, there must have come a stage because I know you did say at the start, and we know I know you struggled uh, when you at a point you had to raise a family. But right. then there had to come a point in your career where you say that's no longer a consideration. I have the cash. Exactly. I'm settled now. I have other exactly. urges. But I, it was that way at the beginning as well. I was you right. know just trying to write good stuff. And uh, trying to keep my career going and growing. It w- it's all based on that, and it was always that from the beginning, and it is that way now. I've talked a lot about, you know, and a, a lot of your songs uh, that, that, that people, you'll do a lot of the early songs in concert. Do you ever feel frustrated that some of the albums, like we're going to talk about the new album, that the new album seems not to hook into the same amount of people, or maybe doesn't get radio support, or does stuff like that? Do you ever feel, you know, here I am, I'm still writing as good as, or different songs? I wish they were as loved or as accepted as the early stuff. Uh, I do feel that way. Um, the, the radio support is not there, especially since, uh, you know, videos came about, and, right. you know, which I hate, and I hate doing. I hate the whole filming process. It's not satisfying to me. So, uh, so you did do- a movie, and it was very successful. I did a movie, like and uh, it was successful, uh, but I did it only because it was a way to expose the music. Right. Even the title uh, had music in it, the jazz singer, yeah. you know. Right. It gave me a chance to write music. That's the only reason I did it. If it had no music in it, I, I wouldn't have been involved. Okay. Uh, it was a musical movie, and uh, that's what I'm all about. I'll do almost anything to get the music out there and get it to people. But you hate doing videos? I hate videos and I hate film. It's a a really horrendous process. It's hard work. Uh, Being an actor is probably the hardest work there is. It's exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. Uh, There's no fun involved in it. Uh, You're at the behest of the director who really has all the fun in the filmmaking process. 
when he says it's right, that's when you're finished. Right. If he doesn't say it's right, you keep doing it until he says it's right. <laughs> and uh, it's no fun. Were you? I I, I don't know if it's uh, if, if it's the story about you and Lawrence Olivia on the set where you said you couldn't say a particular line that I don't sing something to do with making money. I don't sing to make money, and he just told you, you know, it's acting chap or something. I don't know what it was that you 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 didn't feel a particular line in the in the script would set sat right in your mouth. Uh, I asked. Uh, uh, well, he he, you know. Um, um, immediately demanded that I call him Larry, which is, you know, a joke. But uh, I mean, he's the greatest living, at that time, yeah. living actor in the world. And I, I I imposed on him a lot to ask him, what do I do in this situation? How do I right. work with this right. actor in that scene? How do I read this line? What's, you know, what do I do? I was uh, very inexperienced and he was the greatest of all. And uh, he was a generous man. He told me, he was brutally honest. Uh, as a matter of fact, he uh, his nickname for me around the film was the money. That's what he called me. I was the money, which meant that I was the All one. Right. I was the one who got the film made. Right. Uh, so uh, because you were involved, it was backable by whomever. Exactly. Right. And uh, uh, it was it was a great experience. It taught me to be a better musician. It informed my music. Uh, taught me to be a better songwriter. To be a better performer. To understand how to express myself better but it was a very difficult right. process uh, I was exhausted I was totally burned out I was we had 70 days of shooting I was in 69 of those days right. and on my day off for some reason I went down to the set just to see how everybody was doing um but it was very, very hard. I was exhausted. I wanted to quit. I wanted to just pay them off and say, forget about it. I don't want it. But I didn't have the heart to do it. I couldn't explain to my son, Jesse, how I quit. I didn't want to set an example for him that uh, I quit. And so in your life, if, if something's hard, you can quit too. All right. Uh, it was a bad example for me to give Jesse. And I, I, I stuck with it for, to a large part because of that. Um, the hours are horrendous. You get up at 4.30 in the morning, you have to study your lines, you have to memorize all this stuff. And I hadn't done memorization since I was in school. Okay. And uh, suddenly I'm memorizing pages of dialogue and uh, I would practice them with Jesse and uh, he would have them memorized immediately, you know. And here I was, uh, you know, I could just barely memorize the all things. Right, okay. and I was... Uh, so, and that's very important for an actor. You have to memorize it to the point that you don't even think about it. It becomes part of you and you just read the right. line and you express it. So uh, memorization was a very difficult process for me, aside from the process of making films, which is you come in in the morning, you block the scene with other people, wonderful. The lighting director, the director, the director of photography and the other actors, you block the scene out, this is what works, this is how we're gonna do it. Then you go off and you get made up and and you get dressed and then you wait sure, till yeah. the lighting guy puts the lamps where he wants them and the director of uh, uh, photography gets his cameras set up and I mean, it's a huge endeavor. And then they call you back, they give you 10 minutes notice and you have to be right on the mark when they call you back. Sometimes they didn't call me back until four in the afternoon when they had the whole thing set up and were ready to do the scene. And I've been sitting around there all day in makeup, in costume, 
waiting basically right. for my call. And I had to be on the mark and so did every other actor. Uh, it was an exhausting process. And Olivier, who had done it so often in the past and was the consummate pro, uh, it, it never troubled him. This was, this was his milieu. And uh, I remember so clearly, uh, first of all, making uh, being an actor is like uh, being a laborer. Uh, in Hollywood, you have to check in with a card when all you right. come in in the morning, whether you're Neil Diamond or Laurence Olivier or, or some guy who's got oh, two words to say. You've got a card and you check it in and it says, that's when this actor right. showed up. It's very much a union kind of a thing. And uh, you check out at the end of the day. You you can't leave until you're dismissed by the uh, by the director. And I would I would go home and I'd be an empty shell. I was right. exhausted. I I I couldn't eat. I couldn't you know. I was just totally exhausted. I because it was a new process for me. And Olivier would go back to the, his hotel. He would swim laps. This man was seventy eight years yeah. old. He would swim laps. Uh, he would get dressed and go out and have dinner with friends, you know. And uh, I was just barely able to walk up to my room and fall into bed. Right. Okay. So uh, it was very disheartening. Okay. We, I, I, from all this, I imagine you won't be rushing to make a new movie this summer. Not, not unless it's got music in it, and a lot of, and not unless it's got a reason. All right. You know, okay. but it's something it's I'm not, not chasing It's not your milieu. Absolutely not. <laughs> you mentioned Jesse there, and I would like to play another piece of music. And there's another song on your box set, which you wrote with Jesse. And you said you don't feel he would have written it without you or you would have written it without him. Exactly. He came to me. He's a beautiful guitar player. He's, he's given up music uh, at this point, although he's very musical. Right. But I don't think he wanted to grow up in his dad's shadow. He wanted to establish his, his own identity as a creative person and... He's super creative, and he's been a—he's had an extraordinary eye for photography since he was a kid, and he's into it very, very right. heavily now. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, I'll—he'll be in Dublin, shooting the show. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, so I did—we did write this song called uh, "Everybody," and uh, it took the two of us to write it. And uh, it was—it's diffi difficult to write with your own kid because they don't treat you like. You know uh, the icon that you think you are, <laughs> the the living legend that you you know have in your own mind. And so they shouldn't. <laughs> um, you know he would argue with me about lyrics, and we'd get into big fights. And he'd say, "You think that's good? You know that's terrible." And I said, "Just shut up and you know do your thing." The the arguments were horrendous. Right. It was very hard to work with Jesse because he was so brutally honest, you know? But isn't that a good thing, Neil? Isn't it better that people would say, if, if more people had said that to you throughout the years, are all songwriters, are creative artists, that is crap, or that is nonsense. That's right. Maybe you'd have to stand back and go, mm, you're right. It's, it's a good thing to happen, except when you're a professional songwriter or you're professional anything, you, you, you learn to uh, kind of soften the oh, words. Okay. You become right. a little more diplomatic. Why don't we try this way? I like that. Let's keep that, but let's maybe we can extend this part. But you're really you know, saying it's terrible. But you're uh, saying it in a more gentle you, you manner. Say, what you're saying is you don't like it, but uh, you don't. You're not saying it stinks. Uh, <laughs> okay. You know, you're a dummy. You you know, you you have a lot of nerve calling yourself a writer, and all of these things. Jesse had no no hesitation about saying. <laughs> all right. You know. Okay. So uh, it was a tough time writing. But it with still him. led to a song. 
it led to this very beautiful, delicate song, all of these yeah, battles. Right, okay, that's the irony. It's a very gentle, lyrical very, song. Very, very much so. So let's hear this very gentle uh, love song that, that, that came out of battles. Okay, all right. Um, now, we were talking before that song about working with your uh, son. What about working with collaborators? You know, you mentioned Gilbert Becco at the start and that you love the Everly, so we can give it a circular uh, tilt in the show. Uh, co-writing with people, I mean, that was very much part of the idea in the Brill Building and, be- and beyond. I mean, is that something, on your new album, it's all songs by you, all, all words and lyrics, yes. words and music by you. <clears throat> well, the first 10 years of my recording career, I wrote everything by myself. That's the way I was, uh, that's the way I like writing. This is, this is a very wonderful feeling of accomplishment when you do something and it's beautiful and you're pleased with it and you don't have to ask anybody. And uh, I just loved writing the lyrics and, and the music by myself, but I felt that I was doing myself a disservice as a recording artist, right. not to be working with other writers as well, not only recording some of their material, but writing, collaborating with them. And so I started uh, first, uh, my first collaboration was on the Last Waltz album. And uh, I had a song that I started, and I, I, I just couldn't get it finished. I couldn't take it any further than I took it. And so I invited Robbie Robertson in on it. Robbie produced the album, and uh, uh, we wrote it together, and it was fun. Right. And I liked it. And I thought, boy, this is, this is a lot easier than going into a room by yourself and beating your head against the wall. You have somebody to talk to. You have somebody to sympathize with, you know. Uh, it was more fun. It was easier. And so I started collaborating when I could with people that I respected, with people that I liked and felt I could get along with. And I maybe had a dozen collaborations over the years All right. and wrote some very good songs uh, with collaborators. Uh, uh, with Joubert uh, Bacot, who I loved since the Everleys and since Let It Be Me, uh, we did uh, September Morn. Right. was our first song our first meeting together as writers. Uh, we met in his apartment in Paris and uh, he sat down at the piano and I played guitar and uh, he, there was something he did and I loved it and I jumped on it immediately. I said, yes, let's work on that. It was a little melody idea and uh, it, it became September Morn. So that was a, that was great. Uh, you know, I was so happy about that, that good things could come and I didn't have to, uh, agonize over it myself. Right. Uh, These guys didn't talk back to you. Did none of them talk back to you until you got to work with Jesse. Nobody um, say we. They did talk back to me, <laughs> okay. but they didn't do it the way Jesse All right. did. They, <laughs> A little you more know, delicate. When you know writers collaborate, they both get their ideas, yeah. and it's usually one person composes the music and one writes the lyrics. Uh, but I do both, so I have a tendency to jump on other people All right. for uh, melody. I say, let's go here, let's do this, let's try that. Or if they're lyricists, I'll say, let's do this, let's write this, uh, these lines. Um, so, uh, but when, you're, when you've done it long enough and when you've collaborated, work with people that you respect and uh, hold in high regard, uh, it it's it, there's never any fights. I've never had an argument with a professional writer. Okay. It's always done very gently, you know, because they're being honest and they're trying as hard as they can. And just because you don't particularly care for the way the lyric is going or the melody line is going, that doesn't mean you have to kill them. You don't have to step on their heads. Right. You can say, well, let's try this. 
you know, that's nice. And if they're really into what they're doing, they will be happy to try it right. because they want the outcome to be as beautiful as possible. And if you have something to contribute, all the better. All right. When you, uh, when you still, if you turn to a songwriting, uh, a team of composers now, be they Tin Pan Alley composers, Brill Building composers, contemporary composers, where you're feeling kind of depleted of creative energy and you just you, you put on someone else's music, do you still listen to maybe Lorenz Hart and Rogers and Hart or somebody and go, that's how beautiful it can be, you know, that's what I still should be aspiring towards. Who would you, who would you turn to? Um, you know, I have, a, I have a book of some of the greatest lyrics of the 20th century and that's an extraordinary thing to, to read lyrics naked of the melody naked of the performance, naked of the orchestrations and all of the, the goodies that you can put yeah. on in a studio. And uh, but some of them are really quite extraordinary. I mean, there are some that are just, you know, terrible, okay. you know, from the probably from the early years and the lyrics have grown over the years. They've become poetry and, and as lyricists, we've been allowed to write poetry. Uh, but I love reading that book and... Uh, just reading the naked words. All right. Uh, and it's no particular composers that you can endlessly turn great to. Great ones. Go. Larry Hart, yeah, uh, right. Cole Porter, uh, Alan J. Lerner. Right. These are the people that are, you know, are inspiring and uh, from a lyric point of view. Uh, Those guys wrote, even the one, the three you've mentioned, wrote very conversational. They had that great ability to blend high poeticism and street language, which I think is another defining feature of your work. Yes, very much so. I like the lyric to be conversational uh, and not, you know, stick to a... It shouldn't feel like it. it, it it's a, a little rhyme that you wrote All up. Right. Right. Uh, it shouldn't feel that way. It should feel like you're expressing an idea yeah. as opposed to following a meter and a rhyming pattern. Uh, and, uh, you know, I Am I Said is one of those where, you know, I really work myself into a box, but... I always try to uh, make it feel like it's uh, not a, a, a poem, yeah. Uh, but as a, it's it's a conversational way of of expressing these ideas. Even though there are lots of rhymes and internal yeah. rhymes, and it does follow a meter, uh, it shouldn't sound that way. It, it's for somehow it doesn't affect the listener as well if it sounds like you're actually writing to meter also but it's also i think some of the weaker songs are those that try too hard to be poems and the well, better ones that are those that almost organically become that um that's possible uh, i mean you know some work and some don't work all right you know? okay that's, we've, I want to play a couple of tracks from the last album and leave, lead up to a live cut. We did mention earlier, you said that the first track on the new album comes out of the pain of, of, of your last divorce. Yes. So I, I kind of brushed by because I wanted to keep it till near the end of the show. But with, yeah. if you don't mind, I would like to play that. So I think you have already described what it's about. So do you want to say anything more about it or will we just lead into it? Uh, I haven't played this song in years. Is I think one of my better lyrics and probably because it, comes from so deep and such a painful experience uh, I, I worked on it very very diligently to to make it tell the story that it was supposed to tell basically it's 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 expressing my own pain and uh, you know it it's not necessarily to be taken literally uh, line by line but it, it, it was a painful thing to write and a joyful thing to write at the same time Okay, we're going to hear it. Okay, Neil, we're leading up to... Uh, I'm sorry, hang on. 
Might as well give the album a title, a plug. Um, yeah, I, there's something I said earlier that I may reshuffle the quote around. So let me, uh, this is just a point I, brought, I would rather lead towards the end. You say, mm -hmm. you said in the box out, there's something inside me that is released when I'm able to write music and I think I'll need that release for as long as I live. Obviously, that relates to the last song we heard and a lot of the stuff on the new album. Yes, I think the new album is uh, because it was uh, uh, done, written solely by myself, I, I, I made a conscious effort to uh, not work with collaborators because I had done so for years and I thought, well, maybe I, you know, it's getting a little too easy and I'm getting too lazy and I, I want the satisfaction of every word to have been mine and uh, every, uh, every melody to have been mine. Uh, and so I consciously went into this album knowing that I would write the entire thing myself. Um, and it it's, it is became a very personal album. Uh, but not only uh, uh, I haven't played this song in years, but you're the best part of me. I believe in happy endings, which is, you know, the story of my life. Uh, I wrote a song for my grandson, uh, uh, a little piece of uh, advice for when I'm long gone that he can listen to, uh, called Elijah's Song, and right. uh, leave a little room for God, which the title came from a, a, a sign I saw of a recording studio entrance uh, as the musicians walked into the studio that that sign was there, leave a little room for God. All right. And uh, it's so true, and it, 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 it kind of expresses my own feelings about... Uh, about a deity, you know, you must leave a little room for the spiritual side of yourself. All right. You know, life is more than just the nuts and bolts uh, of getting through each day. But that's so that is that's an important factor, and I think it's part of what people in Ireland have hooked into in your music. Apart from loving minor modes and sad songs, I think that element of uh, of, of religious yearning, going back to Holly Holy, going back to thank the Lord for the nighttime, yeah. right through to uh, you know the latest album. That, that, that sense of the deity, be it you are Jewish, you know, a lot of people in Ireland, there are Jewish people in Ireland, but there are Catholics, there are Protestants. It all kind of, it, it, anybody can relate to that religious um, aspiration. You know, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, whatever. It's so important to have that other thing that you, that you believe in and can count on. Uh, Would that have helped, helped you through dark periods too, apart from just creating music? A spiritual faith of faith? Yes, I've always had uh, faith in God. I've always believed in God. Uh, for as long as I can remember, uh, my dad had a major heart attack when I was 16, right. and I prayed to God for the first time in my life, <laughs> please let this man live. I love him so much. Let him live. I'll do whatever it is that satisfies you in your name. Uh, you know, and I even promised, uh, I said, I'll cut my hair off. I'll, I'll do whatever it is that I have to do. Please grant me this. Okay. And he granted me that. You know, right. my father lived for another 15 years, and uh, uh, I was so happy to have him. Um, so Did you God, also, sorry, around 1979, didn't you go through some kind of operation where you wrote goodbye notes and said goodbye to the people you loved, and you, you were afraid, this is it for me too, I'm, I'm going? Yes. Uh, I... I had had uh, very uh, unusual uh, symptoms for a year or a year and a half of losing sensation, first uh, starting at the soles of my feet and working my way up my leg and into my back. And after about a year and a half of, of 
having doctors tell me that it was imaginary and uh, it was not important. I went to a very serious doctor and he said, uh, we're putting you in the hospital and we're going to give you some serious checks. And they they gave me a spinal tap and put dye in my spinal cord and uh, uh, tested me uh, and found that I had a monstrous tumor in my spinal column. Uh, I looked at the x-ray and uh, there was the my spinal cord going down and suddenly up like an, a lemon in there crushing it against right. the side of the, uh, of the bone and which was causing paralysis and uh, an inability to walk and, and, and all kinds of physical uh, disabilities. And uh, so he said, uh, you know, we're going to operate immediately. And they got the, the best neurosurgeon uh, in uh, Los Angeles, it was microsurgery, and uh, uh, it was particularly difficult because it wasn't growing on top of the spinal cord. It was growing from inside the spinal cord, and uh, uh, it was a long and difficult surgery. The doctor, uh, halfway through, called in another surgeon because he didn't want to take responsibility for putting me in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. So the two of them worked for about 12 hours, and uh, uh, got it out. Right. Uh, and, uh, but I didn't know whether I'd live or die or what was going on, really. You don't know. It was in a very delicate place. Uh, and uh, so I did write my last letters to my kids. You know, uh, it was some, something that I felt that I had to do. It was a responsibility that I had to all four of them. And... Uh, you know, I told them how much I loved them and how important they were to me. And uh, uh, I didn't know what was going to happen with this surgery. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to die, but it wasn't up to me. And don't be angry if it happens. Okay. I want you to go on and live your lives and and be productive and, you know, just relish the time that we had together and all the things you want to tell your kids when you think you're going. And, you know, I, I didn't know. I thought that maybe this would be it. But uh, thankfully and joyfully, uh, they were able to remove it. I still have some symptoms. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, I'm able to walk, which is a great joy to me. Uh, uh, I would have been happy just to have lived and, you know, even in, in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. But... I'm able to walk and perform and to do all the things that I did before, although I'm, I'm in pain a lot. It's, it's never brought me down. It's never gotten me down because uh, here I am. I'm alive. Okay. I'm writing music. I've lived to see my kids grow up and have their own children, and there's, there's no greater joy. I would like to play out of that story because I think I see Elijah's song as kind of a continuation of those notes you wrote. Yeah, I think it's a, a another extension of me giving them advice and, and wishing them well and expressing my love. Okay, so this is for maybe more children than just Neil Diamonds. Okay, last link, last song. You happy with this? Are we kind of wrapping up? Okay, so I would like to, uh, Neil Diamond, we, we played their Elijah song. We talked about the kind of, we've talked throughout the show that we, the recurrent theme is this, 
aspect of spiritual sustenance in your music for you and for fans and what you like to do with a live show. I mean, one of, one, one of, one of the songs of yours that, that has always lifted my spirit, and I know lots of fans, is Brother Loves Travelling Salvation Show. Because again, mm-hmm. it captures what you do do with the, the concerts and you will be doing in Ireland uh, very soon. So uh, does this song still resonate for you or do you ever listen to it and say, no, I'm tired of some of this early stuff? Uh, or do you, do you listen to yourself and go, still true, still, still? Well, I am tired of some of the early stuff, right. and uh, I don't do them anymore right. for that reason. Fortunately, I have a, a large enough uh, body of work that I can choose uh, things that I want to do. But Brother Love has always uh, resonated with me. I always sing it uh, with full heart and full gusto uh, because I think the message is, is important. Uh, rise above your pain. Um, look to the look to the future. Be joyful that you have life. Uh, forgive yourself for not being perfect. Forgive others for not being perfect. Uh, uh, sense the joy of life every day of it. Um, uh, be loving, maybe more importantly than anything else. Love those around you and all the people that you meet, they deserve it. Um, and, uh, um, I, I, you know, I, I love people. I truly love people. And, and, uh, this song is an expression of that love. All right, Neil Diamond, I thank you very much. It was worth coming all the way to New York to talk to you for an hour or two or whatever it was. And I thank you and I look forward to seeing you in Ireland. Joe, thank you so much for coming in. I loved seeing you and, uh, and thank you for spending the time. I look forward to playing Dublin. Uh, as I tell everybody who asks, uh, when they say, what are your best audiences? I tell them, you go to Ireland, you cannot get a better audience. Well, you even used us on one of those compilations from the RDS, those famous gigs about a decade ago, where That's four right. or five of the songs had the RDS backing choir. Absolutely. They are the greatest. I love them. Because we, we knew all the songs. That's why I love this. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's daunting because occasionally I will miss a lyric or forget a lyric. But before I play Ireland, I restudy all my lyrics because I know the audience will be singing along and they will be singing the correct lyrics. All right. And I don't want to be caught you know, with my, excuse me, my proverbial pants okay, down. Okay, all right, because you know someone in the audience would tell you, Neil, you got it wrong there. They're, singing, the Irish, they're you know? singing it, so <laughs> I, I better know it. Well, that's part of the art. It's, it's become our song, so uh, I don't know how much you say you have in the matter anymore. Uh, I have no say. I'm just <laughs> one of the group. Okay. Neil Diamond, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was good. Wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. That was worth it. That was a good no, that, Can we do it? Take it. Let you take it. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on tape. Okay. Oh, that was good. Uh, that was good. good. Well, thank, I thank you for uh, for, for um, answering the questions about your, your private life so honestly because I know that's not an area. And I, I didn't want to go into specifics. It's fine. It's part of the music. And it is part of the music. It's a fair game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what we say. But we didn't hurt anybody. You know, we that's, didn't we didn't we didn't, we didn't hurt anyone talking that's about the key. it. You know, yeah, that is the key. That as I say, it, it's it's an honest. That we're not, we're not. Are they great? Oh. And the quality of them is so. I mean, they go to A three size blow ups, and you're yeah. kind of going for for something that small. Yes. And if you don't like it, you know, if you don't look good, you just say scrap it and do exactly. it again. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know how Kodak and stays in business. I know Polaroid is out of business. All right. Okay. Good.
we've got quite an audience in there. Yeah, the flash so didn't go off. And and you, you, press it really. you don't have to look in that end, you can look in the try again. Look, yeah. look through it as a regular camera, forget this. Right. The gimmick always gets it. Try again. Would you mind take one with me, Joe? Well, we might break, we might test the, the camera here. <laughs> I, I forgot to thank you. And last time back in uh, Phoenix Park, or where was Crook Park, there was yeah. a shot taken of you and I, and uh, it's the private place in my mum's home. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And don't forget, if you want to read any of the articles I wrote about Neil Diamond and countless other celebrities, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. And if you like, subscribe to either my podcast on any podcast server or the visualized version on YouTube.